you know, the problem and the work is still there. And running away and trying to escape from it, it's it's a Band-Aid that when you rip it off, it, it there's a huge wound. Hey, hey, it is Summer Felix Mulder back with another Backstage Business episode. What does it feel like to have a seven-figure business and be fighting a number of hidden addictions? This was Michael Dash's everyday reality. The unfortunate reality is Michael's story is not an isolated incident as a number of executives, business leaders, and successful entrepreneurs face similar struggles with addictive behaviors while trying to lead their organizations. Michael found a path to freedom, and now he invites you to walk with him through the struggles and shame he felt and overcame. With a sustained, committed focus to self-care and self-love, Michael helps audiences exchange negative mindsets and manic behaviors into positive, productive, and wholesome lifestyles so that your personal success can match your greatest paycheck. And I'm so thrilled that he is joining me today on the episode. He's got quite a story. And for those of you who can relate to addiction and entrepreneurship, you're going to be totally glued to this interview because the truth is, is that a lot of entrepreneurs and business leaders are wired a little bit different than everyone else. And Michael's going to take us through his journey of addiction and entrepreneurship with grit and honesty today. And you'll start to learn some steps of how you can transition, excuse me, from addictive behaviors to being a selfless, caring, respected leader at work and at home. If you aren't struggling with addiction, then maybe this won't be of great interest to you, but I would bet that there's some little behaviors in there. It is a common thing with a lot of entrepreneurs. That's not to say that that is you, but you may know other entrepreneurs. You may know other people that have struggled with this, and his story really does resonate with entrepreneurs and business leaders, and um, especially those that are that have tons of responsibilities, and they are trying to manage a ton of different things in their life. And he, he's gone through some hardcore stuff (laughs) and he's taking those lessons and he's learned a lot through his challenges and he's made a lot of mistakes. And so he's using that to teach and inspire others that there is a healthy, more sustainable way to live life, to be the very best that you can be. And I'm really grateful that he shares his story today. I know that, um, there, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of struggle when it comes to just people in general and all that they're managing in life, and it does seem to be something that's happening amongst entrepreneurs as well. So it's an important um, interview, and it's an important story that he shares. And I wish that you get a ton of value from this. There's a lot to Michael, and we may not cover all of it. So listen out, and you'll find out where you can learn more about him and get in touch with him if you so wish. Enjoy. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Summer. I look forward to it. Um, This is going to be a really important conversation and something that I absolutely know a lot of people are are going to relate to. And 
there's a, there's a bunch of things I want to talk about with you, but the highlight of her conversation and what really, um, got me saying, I got to have that guy on my podcast (laughs) was a friend, a mutual friend of ours showed me a blog post and a video about you. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so many of the things that, that, that is on a rise right now. People are just starting to talk about, and that is the topic of addiction and entrepreneurship. And if anyone can share a story and share insight on that, it's you. So thank you. Thank you for being here. And I'd love if you can just kind of give the, um, we'll go deeper, but just like the high level of your journey and how, you know, you decided to write a book and just come out about this journey. Yeah, absolutely. I'll start towards, um, kind of the thought process that led me to writing the book. Okay. I was basically, so I was running a technology staffing recruiting company that I built from scratch with an ex-business partner of mine. I ran that for 11 years and I recently sold that June of last year. Okay. But I was running that company and involved in a six-year legal battle with my ex-business partner. Uh, We built the company out five and a half years into it. I bought her out and um, I felt she violated our agreement and held off on a payment while I did an investigation and she sued me. So that started a six-year legal journey. So just to give some history as to where my mindset was, um, I was running a company at the time that actually was running me and in a lawsuit that I was emotionally charged over every day and spending a lot of money on, and I was taking Adderall on a daily basis and smoking pot every night. So I would, co- I would come into the office, I would you know, have my coffee, and then I would pop an Adderall every single day. And to be able to sleep at night, I would smoke marijuana to sleep yeah. myself to sleep, to sleep myself, to, to put myself to sleep. So every day I was like consumed with something to get me up and something to get me down. The Adderall specifically would really affect how I treated other people and specifically my employees. I would lead from a place of correction instead of a place of of empathy and of learning. And I remember clear as day one day walking into my office and opening up my desk drawer where I kept my Adderall and the desk drawer was empty and there were no Adderall in it. And I was like freaking out. Oh, wow. And I called the doctor's office right away and they didn't answer and they weren't in yet. I left a voicemail and, you know, 10 o'clock came, 11 o'clock came, 12 o'clock came and still no call back. So I got in my car and drove 20 minutes to the doctor's office thinking like, oh, they're going to see me if I just show up. And there, I remember waiting in line. There were four people in front of me. It like felt like forever just to watch three people then two people and one person. And finally I'm talking to the receptionist. Right. And yeah. you know, that was probably 10 minutes, but for me felt like a freaking eternity. And I got up to the receptionist. I'm like, look, you don't understand. I have to see the doctor. And she's like, Mr. Dash, we got your voicemail early this morning. We've just been so slammed. We haven't had a chance to call you back. You know, I don't know why you showed up here because the doctor is booked for three days straight and he can't see anybody. 
And it was like, at that moment, I remember walking back to my car in like a complete panic. And I just sat dejected in my car and like tried to like take long, deep breaths. And I realized how irrational I was acting over this Adderall and over getting like my, getting my fix. Because in my mind, I had convinced myself I could not be productive at work. I could not run the company and get done all the things I needed to get done without it. It was a story I was telling myself for the past seven years because I had taken it every single day for that long. Yeah. And it was kind of at that moment that like my self-recognition kicked in. And, you know, I realized that I... I might not that I might have a problem that I did have a problem that I, you know, I was addicted to Adderall and it was an event like that, that, and I had a several events like that through a couple other addictions I had that really led me to recognize that I wasn't the only one going through this in my entrepreneurial circles. There were several other entrepreneurs and we would sit around and we would talk about these things and everybody was kind of using something. And I wanted to tell my story in hopes that others would just see that there are other ways to approach entrepreneurship, to approach the multitude of responsibilities that we have on a daily basis, that regardless of what you're using, your reality, uh, you know, the problem and the work is still there. And running away and trying to escape from it is, it's it's a Band-Aid that when you rip it off, it, it there's a huge wound and it doesn't really do any good in the big scheme of things. So, so that's why I decided, uh, sorry for the long answer, but that's why I decided to kind of like uh, to, to write the book and get my story out there about all the mistakes I've made and more importantly, like the lessons learned so that the audience can really take away tangible lessons and different things that they can incorporate into their lives um, to, uh, to lead a more fulfilled life. Oh, yeah. Well, and I want to I talk about what some of those things are. First, I wanted to ask, you know, as, as an entrepreneur and being around a lot of entrepreneurs, what do you think it is about entrepreneurship that there is a lot of this going on in secret? Well, I believe that number one, the majority, and this isn't true for everybody. So anything I say right now, um, you know, is not obviously true for everybody, but for masses that that I've kind of resonated with, where the majority of us are type A's. And, you know, we have somewhat of a dominant personality or dominant thought process or just, uh, you know, we want to lead. Um, and we want to also be held in a certain regard, not only amongst our employees, not only amongst our clients, but amongst our peers. A lot of that has to do with ego. And we don't want anything shattering that kind of um, perception we put out there that we've worked on so long to build that successful entrepreneur that we are, that delivers for our clients, that has, you know, everything seemingly under control. But really when you peel back the curtain, we, the majority of our life is not in control and, you know, we are hiding it with something. And, you know, the reason, at least for me, 
the reason that I was so secretive about it is because I was afraid that if my employees knew I had an addiction and not Adderall, but the other addictions I had, or even Adderall, but that they would think differently of me. They wouldn't give their all. They wouldn't um, look to me as the leader. If a client found this out, they wouldn't want to do business with me. Right. Uh, they would feel I'm flawed. And um, so I think those are a lot of the reasons. And, and uh, you know, those same similar reasons are why we hide this from loved ones as well. But I think those are kind of the main reasons of, of why people are hiding this and don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And then, I mean, also, what about, I mean, and that makes complete sense. What about it happening at all? Do you know what I mean? Like, why is this happening a lot with entrepreneurs? I I mean, I know for me, it was an escape. I, I, I convinced myself I needed an escape because, oh, I worked so hard today. Or like as entrepreneurs, we're, and I had a small business, so you know, at our peak, we were doing five and a half million, um, but it was still a small business. I mean, it was like, you know, less than, I had like 30 employees. Yeah. I was making decisions. I mean, I felt like some days I would make a decision every 10 minutes. And it's just decision, 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 decision. You're having things thrown at you from all areas whether it's your employees, whether it's your clients, whether it's payroll, whether it's accounting, whether it's insurance, whether it's legal. Like as a small business owner, you are dealing with all of this stuff. And majority of the time, you as the leader of the company are the one dealing with it. You know, if you're running a huge, you know, organization with hundreds and thousands of employees, you know, you have different pressures that you're dealing with. But, um, and you might want to escape from those. But I feel like it's, you know, at the end of the day, you're just exhausted with all of it and you want to escape it for a few hours. And so you go out and you have drinks or you go and you smoke marijuana or, you know, you go on the weekends and you're doing cocaine or whatever it might be that um, that you're escaping to. And for some, it's not any of those. Uh, you know, my first addiction was gambling and it could be gambling, could be social media, could be shopping, could be eating. I mean, there's so many, you know, addictions out there that we run to and we use them as a crutch or as an escape from the reality of our day-to-day life. Right. So what was it that, I mean, how, what was the journey like of, of recovery for you and, and, you know, saying, okay, that's it. This is stopped. Was it like just an instant thing? Was it a gradual thing? What did it look like for you? So. I have had different recovery journeys because I've had different addictions. Uh, So I'll start with my my first major addiction was gambling, and I started gambling at 11 years old. And and my uncle introduced me to it at Thanksgiving one year. And I won my first bet, and that was the worst thing that could have happened to me. Um, You know, an 11-year-old kid, you know, betting $10 and winning $100. I mean, it was like the biggest thrill ever. And I was hooked, and I gambled for 20 years I, became, I was a bookie in college. I mean, it was it was very bad. I was consumed with it. So you've been, quote unquote, chasing the high <laughs> since a young age. Like anything that kind of gave you that, that thrill, is that what it was? It was. It was like that rush I would get. Yeah. And it wasn't even from winning the bet. It was from placing the bet for me. Which I- a lot of, you know, 
entrepreneurs have that. It's something that they have. They get so excited. They achieve something. They want to achieve the next thing. Like everything is, they love challenge. And it's so, it's so hard, right? To build your own business. It's so hard, like to go from things going well, things not going well, trying to build it up to go well. There's so many things that, that happen that really put you on a roller coaster. And, but the reason we keep doing it and love it is because there is that thrill of, I, I made it happen. I overcame this obstacle or I, I brought this service or product to, to market, or I totally won on this marketing campaign, whatever, whatever those things are. And so it, it's, it's just so interesting that, you know, the correlation between the two, it's, it's almost, you know, many entrepreneurs are accused of, if not all of being workaholics. Yeah, it's true. And, um, you know, I think, certain things that that really hit our you know kind of that that fill our dopamine right um for instance um they whether it's being a workaholic whether it's certain achievements whether it's um closing a sale whether it's making a bet whatever it might be it's that thrill it's that of accomplishment it's that sense of of excitement it's that high Right. And that's that's why I titled my book Chasing the High. But um, and and it's like those certain chemicals within us that um, that we're able to to fill by accomplishing those things that really put us in that what we can what we see as that peak state of, you know, for me, it was of like just just being being high. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But, but like for my, just to go back to your previous question, for my journey through the gambling addiction, my actual um, getting sober with gambling, and, and that's how I refer to it as, uh, I went to the Gamblers Anonymous program. So I, I did go to that program off of the smallest thing. But my brother and I were driving to Thanksgiving again. It all comes back to Thanksgiving, you know, 13 years later, and he wouldn't let me listen to sports radio in the car. And we got into an argument and I finally, I conceded and I said, fine, we'll listen to music. Well, after the three and a half hour ride, I actually thought to myself, wow, that was very soothing. And I, my brain wasn't constantly thinking about what games I'm going to bet on by listening to the sports radio. You know, I want to find out and my brother told me he wouldn't let me listen to it because he was going to Gamblers Anonymous. So, uh. so at that point, I was like, I want to see what this Gamblers Anonymous did to my brother. He didn't push me to go. He didn't say I should go. Nothing like that. It was my curiosity that actually led me into the room. And once I walked in there, I never gambled again. And it wasn't that simple. I worked the program hard. I had these guys get in my face and this is in New Jersey. So, you know, they're not shy about expressing their, their, their thoughts and opinions. And, um, I, uh, I found a sponsor and, and I never gambled again and I'll be celebrating 14 years clean, uh, June, the week of June 11th, which is the week that the book is released. And that's why I released it, uh, that week also. So oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So for gambling, that was, I went to an anonymous program. However, for my other addictions, I did not. Um, and you know, and did these, so did these addictions come So it's, you said gambling was the first and then others came about. Yeah. And what, okay. 
find is most addicts and even most entrepreneurs have multiple addictions going on. Uh, yeah. Very easy to be cross addicted. So when I moved into New York City, like gambling wasn't enough for me. And there was cocaine everywhere in New York. So, you know, I would gamble and do coke. And when I'd be out, I was in my 20s, I'd be out at the clubs and there's coke everywhere. So I'd be doing coke almost every weekend. And it became a, you know, a, a dark addiction. It always led me to a dark place. And I would, it was so bad that I'd be at clubs with my, with my boys. We'd have a, a table full of bottle service and women and, you know, everything you would want in your 20s. But I would tell them that I would leave the club and I would tell them I was meeting an ex and I had to go. But it was a lie because I was going back to my apartment to open my computer and play party poker, which is (laughs) on site and do cocaine alone. Wow. Till the sun would come up and then I would smoke myself to sleep, smoke weed to go to sleep. It was, it was some of the darkest times in my life. Wow. And yet you were still running business. So at that point, I hadn't opened the business yet. Um, okay. I was running a book of business. I always looked at, I always knew I'd be an entrepreneur, number one, because my father was an entrepreneur and I kind of wanted to emulate him. But number two, I was always in sales and running and building a book of business. And I look at, Building a book of business, like building a business. So they're very similar um, in nature. Uh, so I was running a book of, you know, I had a $4 million book of business for a uh, staffing company I was working for in New York while all this was going on. And ironically, the, the smallest things uh, for me allowed me to, like, pushed me into, into stopping the cocaine, for instance. It's, it's an interesting story. I uh, was out with a friend. He had a little too much to drink on an argument with, uh, with some stranger. I went to break it up, and I ended up getting uh, punched in the face um, and broke my nose. Ugh. So I had to get my nose fixed. And after I got my nose fixed, I just said to myself, there's no way I'm ever putting anything up. <laughs> right. I said, this nose cost me 10 grand. <laughs> I'm never putting anything up it again. And and literally, I'm not even joking. That is how I quit cocaine. Okay. And I never did it again. Um, so But then there was and then there was Adderall. Right. Then there was Adderall. And the whole time during this during this entire time, I always smoked marijuana. So that was always there. Yeah. So uh the Adderall, when I moved to Utah and opened up my business. I was introduced to Adderall. I had never heard of Adderall. I didn't know what it was, but I was hanging out at a bar with some friends and they introduced me to Adderall. And once I was introduced to it, I was like hooked on it so bad. Uh, and I took it every single day at work. Out of all the drugs that and addictions I had, that was the worst because it changed who I was as a person. It changed how I interacted with my employees, with my mm-hmm. friends. I mean, you know, I was just a, I was a jerk. I was, you know, I would, I don't want to curse, but I, you know, I, I would, uh, I was all of the words you could think of. And, yeah. you know, I just didn't show up as the, I wasn't the leader. I, I had the drive, 
I, you know, always got a lot of work done. I always brought a lot of business in, but I wasn't the leader for the employees that I should have been. And, you know, I, I didn't lead from a place of teaching. I led from a place of correction. So, yeah, it's so fascinating to me hearing, hearing all of this because, you know, you wonder, like, what, what were people, do you know later on what your team was saying? Or, yeah, we always knew something was up or we had no idea. Like, what were the, what was the talk going on? You know, it's interesting. Um, I never cared about what the talk was, you know? Right, right. But I'm just curious, you know, like what, like you said, if you, you were, you were jerked. I mean, it was obviously affecting the relationships you, you had around you. Yeah. I was uh, just going to leverage the fact that I never cared into a message I just recently received. So as I've started to talk about this more and and put it out on my social media channels and stuff like that, an old employee responded to a post of mine where I talked about I was a jerk and I was all these things. And she wrote me a message, something to the effect of, you know, I always thought it was me. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm so interested to read this and hear this because I thought I always thought it was me. And I always wondered why you would come down so hard on me. And I just thought I wasn't good enough and I screwed up and things that I knew in my heart I had done, uh, and I was admitting them, but it was hard for me to digest that. It was hard yeah. to actually read that, even though I knew it, because I was really affecting other people and making them feel like crap. And, you know, that's that's just, you know, not the way to run a business. So, so that's an example of, I'm sure, some of the murmurs that were going around in the office and everything. And at the end of the day... Um, when I was in that state, I just didn't care. I was like, look, you don't like it. Go find another job. You know, you, this is a place you come to make a lot of money. Like you want to make a lot of money, be here. We're going to kill it. We're going to do this. It was that type of mentality I had from like working in New York city and, and being an East coast person my whole life that I brought to Salt Lake city, Utah, which was uh, <laughs> kind of a slight adjustment in culture. Yeah, definitely. But, but yeah, I mean, that's just how, um, that's how I was raised. That's how I built everything. That's how I was successful. And it was all driven by ego. Yeah. Oh yeah. So what are, what are some of the things that you have learned in, you know, now, now in sobriety now, you know, that you have a, a clear head, <laughs> what are the things that have helped you maintain a clean lifestyle? I like waking up in the morning with a clear mind and a clear head. It feels good versus waking up with cobwebs every morning, which Mm -hmm. I hear, especially smoking pot every night. Um, I I don't feel the need. Like, I don't have to come down from the Adderall. The Adderall would be such a rush, and and it would, I would have trouble sleeping from it. So... I really enjoy those two things. Um, and I've, I feel like it's important that there are, there's fulfillment in, in your life. So I, I look at it as, you know, everybody talks about happiness. Like I don't 
particularly believe in the term happiness because like, what does that really mean? I mean, and for you, it's one thing for me, it's another, for another person, it's another, I believe in fulfillment. I, I believe there are buckets in our lives that we need to fill. And if we fill those buckets, then we will live a fulfilled life. And, 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 and that will feed itself. So it's incorporating some of those other things that uh, like taking care of your body, like making sure that you're healthy. So like moving every day, making sure you're doing some sort of workout or activity, whether it's going to the gym, whether it's running, whether it's yoga, whether it's hiking, whatever it is, like getting outside every day. The environment, the, the being like I moved recently to uh, um, Redondo Beach, California, because I want to be near the ocean. Just being able to go and take a walk on the ocean for 10 minutes every day can change your entire perspective. Oh, so true. Yeah. So I know you're in San Diego, so you understand that. I mean, you know, if you're somewhere else, if you're like I was in Utah going to take a hike in the mountains. I mean, those are the best ways to clear your mind. Yeah. You know, meditating, listening to podcasts, uh, positive podcasts, uh, you know, things of that nature. Those are things I never did any of these things previously uh, that I've incorporated in my life that allow me to to live a fulfilled life and, and really not yearn those addictions that I previously had. Yeah. So what what was writing Chasing the High like for you? What was the experience like? Because you're reliving, I'm imagining you're reliving a bunch of stories, maybe ones that were, you're not so excited to relive again, (laughs) you know, like what was that experience like? And what, what, you know, what would somebody who's reading that, what would, what would you say that they're going to walk away with? Yeah. So originally it was some of the stories, they were kind of emotional to go back through painful in the sense that I couldn't get out of my own way. And most of the problems in my life were self-inflicted wounds. And I think a lot of people can resonate with that, Um, especially entrepreneurs. Yeah. We we tend to create our own issues um, because we're either, either overthinking things or we're too involved in things or we can't let things go. We can't delegate. You know, there's a whole bunch of different things and different reasons. I would say for for somebody reading the book, uh, it's a great, there's some great stories in there, but they're backed up with lessons that, lessons learned and takeaways that leave you thinking about, you know, certain things that you might be able to change in your life, or you might be able to integrate in your life, or you might be able to think about in a different manner. Mm -hmm. good uh, compilation of, of stories, mistakes, and lessons that are left uh, for the reader to, to, to digest. I love that. Can you share, can you share like two of them with us? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> yeah. One of them is, I would say one of the biggest is not to make emotional decisions. I, some of the worst decisions of my life were because they were made when I was in an emotional state of mind. And if I had just, what I had started incorporating the last year I had in my business is I would always get triggered by my lawyers. 
Every time I got an email from my lawyer, I just didn't want to open it. It would trigger me. I didn't have a great relationship with my own lawyers. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, in a, in a six-year lawsuit. That's part of the reason because it went on so long. Um, so I had a folder in my inbox, and all the lawyers' emails would go to that folder. So I wouldn't have to see it right in my inbox. So when I saw that folder bolded, meaning that there was a new email there, I would literally go into the office two doors down from me and do a 10-minute silent meditation before I opened it so I could calm myself and react in a frame of mind that was void of emotion. Yeah, I love that. So that was a huge one for me because I knew, look, we all have triggers in our lives, you know, and for, you know, it might be something else for somebody else. Um, But if you're able to identify those, then you can prepare yourself and deal with them a lot, a lot better. So that's what I did, you know, for, for that's for in that instance. Another one I would say is, and I call one of my chapters is called the habit of habit making. You know, it's very important to have habits and to have a routine. Yes. And and being able to reinvent that routine when something isn't working for you. Yes. You know, and tweaking it and not just giving up on it, but tweaking it and working it. So like the habit of habit making talks about getting in the habit of continually making habits. And this is so huge when it comes to recovery and dealing with addiction. Like you said, having that habit of moving for however long, you know, every single day or getting outside every single day, those things that keep you, you know, keyed in because it's so, it's so easy to get lost. Like you said, in getting triggered in that bad email. But when you start, when you start a day and you have those, you know, habits in place or a routine in place, you're so, you're just, you're just going to keep doing that throughout the day. And you're, I feel like it just makes you, like you said, you, you react to something in a much more effective way rather than just, or responding. I like to say responding to it rather than just reacting right away because you've, you've, you've started off on the, on a good foot. You know, you have these other things in place to, to have yourself think Clearly. And, and when you don't do those things, it's almost like you have that attitude of just like, you know, what, it's all gone to shit anyway. So it doesn't matter. I'm just going <laughs> to implode, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, that, that hits home really. Uh, uh, and you said something that, that triggered something in me, uh, a positive trigger. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was actually, uh, and this is a teaching moment. At least I would teach myself this. I always would have what I called reactionary guilt. Mm, yeah. And, and I, I feel like it's a term I coined, but who knows? Uh, my ego is going to let that go. Uh, but, <laughs> but I would consistently react to situations in a highly emotional manner only to immediately feel guilt about how I just treated that person. Right. Just let that sink in for a second. Yeah. I feel like we all do this at different times. And then I would beat myself up about it, have a conversation with myself for the next one to two hours about how I'm going to go and address this with the person and apologize to them. Yeah. 
would it would end up consuming hours of my day because I originally acted and responded emotionally. Mm-hmm. And so it's that reactionary guilt and that just exhaustion of going through that every day that was like, all right, you know, there's a better way to handle this and manage things like this. And I know for me personally, a lot, it's not an excuse, but a lot of that was being fueled by the Adderall that I was taking. Oh yeah. That didn't help any. (laughs) Not at all because it would just, it would would like get me in this kind of chaotic state and really get me, get me my heart rate pumping and stuff. So I'd be overly excited about even minor, minor, minor things going on. Yeah. And then it just fuels that emotion. I'm sure. Totally. A hundred percent. So interesting. I think, I mean, I would say one of the biggest takeaways and I, and I love this so much because this is something that has been key in my life for years and years, just, you know, having gone through, even just having gone through the trauma of divorce, you know, this is like over how many years ago is this? this is like 14 years ago or 13 years ago. And um, just going through that, I remember, you know, you're in that heightened emotion state, emotional state, and you react, you react, you react just at the, at that very moment that you're triggered. And the biggest lesson I had gotten out of it was to take that time, like you said, and to come from a place that's not emotional and actually productive and, and to respond, I always say, respond creatively, respond creatively instead of just boom, reacting, which, which we do. And we do this in business. We do this in just all of the things that life throws at us. It's the natural instinct, you know, it's the natural impulse to do that. And just nailing that in your life is huge. Cause like you said, the guilt, the reactionary guilt that you have, or the thinking about how you handled it, you have this knot in your stomach, like, oh, I don't like how that went down. And you spend hours feeling sometimes even longer, just feeling so uncomfortable about it instead of having taken the time to prepare yourself and then, and then responding to it. Yeah. You hit it right on the head. I love that. Well, Michael, where, where can people find this book? We've been talking about chasing the high. I know it's going to be amazing. I'm so excited. I want to know where to find it. And I also want to know where we can send people to find more information about you because there's so much more to you, but I really wanted to go into this topic specifically a, because of the book B because it's, I know it's going to be so relatable for people and it's always so good to hear. Okay, cool. It's not, it's just not, not just me that has struggled with, with these types of things. So where, where can they go? You are not alone, my friend. <laughs> um, yeah, they could go to chasing the high and then that will lead them right to, uh, to the Amazon link. Okay. Um, we'll write to the Amazon page actually. So that's where they can order the book. It's out June 11th. And, um, I would love to get it in as many people's hands as possible because I really think it can make an impact. Uh, I have a, you can go to my website, michaelg-.com for any inquiries about my new fate program that will be rolling out within the next month. 
And that will be a mentoring coaching program for any business leaders who are going through any compulsive or addictive behavior challenges that are affecting them as leaders, family members, and, and, and friends. And uh, we have a four-step process that we take people through that's worked for me. And uh, I think it can work for them as well. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. That is so awesome. Yeah, so thank you. And um, yes, yeah, so they can find me there. And then on all the social media channels, I'm sure you'll leave them. Um, we will. We will have all of this in our blog posts and the show notes. We'll make sure there's links to all of this. But if you're just listening in the car, remember chasingthehighbook.com and also michaelg-.com. Michael, thank you so much. This has been so awesome, so insightful, and you were pretty raw in everything that you shared, and I absolutely appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.